0: I thought this time we'd share with the audience something unusual that's been going on mm. ever since we started this podcast. We've done four episodes so far, haven't we?
1: Yep, this is the fifth.
0: Yes, and for that entire time, we've had a stalker. Mm.
1: I think I know who you mean.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> have you ever had a stalker before, Dunk?
1: No, I don't think I have. Mm. How, would you, how would you define
0: a stalker? You know you know it when you see it right, so I often assume that people online, you know if they have some kind of audience or whatever yeah. will pick up a stalker or two along the way. but actually, the more people I ask, the more I see that that maybe that's not as common as what I think it is mm. but uh I've had a few stalkers over the years. Mm-hmm. some of them are um some of them are well intentioned. They just don't understand that their behavior is uh, pathological to some degree. So back in the open Enlightenment days.
1: Oh God, yeah. Yeah, do
0: you remember that? So 10 years ago, I thought it was a good idea to talk openly and honestly about awakening. Primarily as a way of exploring what it is. That went catastrophically wrong. As a project. It did. It did. It did. <laughs> I Not... remember
1: people putting on false identities and joining in discussions, trying to con themselves back in after we'd blocked them. It was crazy, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. At the time, I did a little little group uh, meeting in London, mm. and I invited people along. I mean, that's a story in and of itself. I remember once asking like twenty people why they were there, and maybe two people said they were there because they were interested in awakening. The rest of them had turned up for all kinds of strange reasons. One person who became a stalker had figured something out and he wanted to get me on, on my own with him so he could tell me about this secret or something like that. Oh, and I say stalker as in I, I would, you know, monthly receive invites to join social networks by this person. Yeah. I think he was well-intentioned. I think he was just misguided. So another example that sticks out in my mind is... A guy who was obviously schizophrenic, and he would send me long emails and leave comments on my websites and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, the the content was delusional. I think he's probably the smartest person I've ever had any contact with. His mm-hmm. IQ must have been off the charts. His comments were extro- they were extraordinary in how uh, they hung together. Right? It's just a shame that the content was delusional, and there was something you know tragic about that. See, so it 's common for people to say you know if you get stalked online if someone yeah. if someone follows you and harasses you continually online that you can just block them or you know turn them off or have nothing to do with them or something like that but it 's not always that straightforward mm-hmm. so during one period, I was doing a lot of work on YouTube, and at the time you couldn 't turn off notifications popping up in the top right corner of your screen when someone left a comment
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, this guy he would leave comments and I would see them pop up in the Top right corner, because you get a preview of the comment, and then I would go to check to delete the comment. But he would have already deleted it, right? Knowing
1: that you'd read it.
0: No, he would leave. He would leave the comment, realize that what he was doing wasn't quite right, uh-huh. right, and then delete it. At least that's the sense that I got. But uh-huh. I would check, and it would be gone, right? And then, and then he would leave another comment, and it would pop up, and I would see it, and then <laughs> I'd have to go and check to see if he's deleted it. Because even if I assume that he has, he might not have. So then I'd mm-hmm. go and check and it wouldn't be there. And I got stuck in that loop for a while. Being exposed to those kind of comments, you know, with that content, it does mm-hmm. affect It does affect you after a bit, especially if you're stuck in this behavioral loop that you, can, that you can't get out of. I did find out who that guy was. It was easy to find out who he was. I think he was. he was in his late teens. He was schizophrenic. He still lived with his parents. I think they cared for him. I did think about contacting them to say, you know, he's continually harassing me online but you know they haven't enough to deal with looking after him yeah you know he you know he didn't have ill intent uh it was just one of those things and after a while it it passed
1: yeah i mean i'm wondering if what we're inching towards is the idea of a stalker as somebody who takes an interest in you know whatever it is that you do or whatever it is that you offer but for not quite the right reasons maybe
0: yeah and there's a there is a difference when the person who's stalking you actually has a malevolent intent mm. that's, some, that's something different so I've been aware of this stalker right? Uh, every time we've dropped an episode
2: <laughs>
0: yeah there was, uh, there was feedback yes <laughs> that, yeah let's just say feedback <laughs> you know it's one thing to have opinions online especially on social media and it's going to have a sociopathic element to it, lean to it because it's social media yeah. And that's one thing. But as the months went on, I could see that at some point it'd be unavoidable having to confront this particular stalker. Mm. Because as I learned who this person was, I could see that they had a history of doing this with people and that the harassment uh, wouldn't end. You know, that it would mm. lead in one direction and one direction only.
1: Mm. Well, we've already spoken about some of the comments that have been posted online about the previous episodes some of which were from this person and followers of this person weren't they
0: well here's one of the problems you just said followers of this person which implies more than one person Mm. engaging in this kind of behaviour yeah I became aware months ago before we began the podcast of an individual, which turns out to be this same person who, after behaving in a way that was socially unacceptable on a Discord server, was asked to leave and they came back with a fake account, pretending to be someone else, to continue the harassment of the people on that Discord server. Which then makes you wonder, these followers, are they followers or is it the same person? So, I saw that after the last episode, there you were engaging with the stalker on Twitter.
1: Sunday morning as I recall. So this person had come into my Twitter stream and posted some comments there, you know, and if someone comes into my stream and makes some comments, then generally I will address them. And and one of the things I've noticed in the comments from this person is a constant, let's say, tendency to misattribute views and opinions. So, after the last episode about what you witnessed in Berlin, you know, seeing seeing trauma, seeing certain sorts of imagery and practices in the occult community there, I was being told that we were discriminating against the BDSM community. Now, I have nothing against BDSM practices in the context of uh, a safe and loving relationship, but that was specifically not what you observed at the conference
0: Yes, and then that's a useful indicator because then you realise that the continuous misattribution is actually a smear campaign mm. and then when you see the history of this individual's activities online which have been sufficient for someone to write a 10,000 word essay on this person's behaviour mm. the point is to bring down a target by any means necessary and has nothing to do with the actual content now as a socially competent human being you're engaging with this individual in good faith yeah as if they cared about the details about the content
1: i think you have to assume good faith don't you in order to have any kind of debate you know you have to assume that there's goodwill there that someone's sincere about what it is that they're flagging up but but when there's constant misattribution where you're constantly being told that you have a certain view which is nowhere present in you know the podcasts that we've done or on my Twitter stream yeah then you start
0: to wonder don't you mm. well because I was aware of this individual having uh, behaved in these questionable ways in the past with people that I know it was obvious to me that these details needed to be brought to light. Mm. right? The truth needed just to be told rather than engaging in good faith in a conversation with someone when that person doesn't care about what they're professing to care about. Yeah. Right? And so I entered Twitter. I returned to Twitter <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> for the first time since... Uh, when was the last time? Was it 2016 or something? I can't remember. And I went through a process of identification, like, who is this person? Because at first, it just seemed like they weren't too bright. That's why they were misattributing so many views. Mm. But then it was realising, oh, it's this guy who was harassing people on a Discord server. You know, he was asked to leave. He returned with a fake account. And we know it was him because... (laughs) Because... He responded to uh, criticism from that Discord server, aimed Mm. at this fake account, right, on his own personal Twitter stream the next day, Mm. right? And then I realized, oh, it's the person that did this particular magical working back in May. Now, during this magical working, if I can sum it up, there was an attempt to contact the Great White Brotherhood, or the Discarnate, Entities that work with the AARV Arcanum Arcanorum, those advanced adepts that guide the development of the human race on the planet, mm. right, and help people with their personal initiation. But this ritual, instigated by this individual, was solely concerned with riding on the coattails of the Helia TV series.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think um, in Helia, the people participating in that, they. Receive some information I think about the the third order being missing uh, there's a question is, is the third order still present? Are they still available? Mm. so the working in question was an attempt to clear up that question, I think, and also to ask some some other questions about some of the mysteries um, mm. you know in in earlier
0: yeah, so the working is already being carried out with an intent incommensurate with the nature. Of the beings being summoned, yeah, and yeah. their function, as yeah. we know from experience,
1: don't as you? we know from experience, yeah. So in when was it around two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine? We did a series of workings which involved communications uh, with a member of the Great White Brotherhood, an astral representative of the AA, who announced himself to us as Tempe. And we did a series of three workings, didn't we? And looking back on them now, we we got them absolutely wrong, didn't we? Um, we did.
0: We made a mess of it. Yeah.
1: But in the process, perhaps, started to get a handle on what these beings are, what their nature is. Although, you know, very much learning that the hard way.
0: We did. And to be fair, it was only the first working that we made a complete mess of. And we made a mess of it by assuming that the beings in question are there to provide us with knowledge and insights appropriate to the delusions we find ourselves exercising as magicians.
1: Yeah. So we were asking stuff about what was going to happen in 2012. We were asking about uh, UFOs and alien bases. Yeah. All sorts of stuff.
0: Yeah, all sorts of stuff. And the contact was frustrated by the questions. We were setting off on the wrong path, weren't we? We put the yeah. wrong foot forward. But this is part of the process of practicing magic. Yeah. If, you, if you do a working, right, then you, you account for what happened. You don't add things or take anything away. And despite your preferences, if you just spell it out and look at the results from the working, you can see what it is. Yeah. You can see what it is. And usually what that means is learning where you've been delusional, where you've made mistakes right and Mm. then there's an opportunity for doing things differently Mm. so you know worst-case scenario you do a working you are fooled by the entity that you're that you've summoned right worst-case scenario but if you spell it out what happened and what the outcome is then the identity of who and what you've spoken with right and the nature of the working will merely disclose itself yeah
1: although we struggled with those workings at the beginning there were some things that pretty quickly proved absolutely mind-blowing so i remember i think it was the second or the third working where we were given insights into our karma which was absolutely stunning and is still something that is relevant to me today yeah however many years later there were some prophecies given as we mentioned before, I think, about you know your travels um, around the world with latitudinal, longitudinal coordinates telling you in advance the places where you would go to and the sort of experiences you had. And all yeah. of that was mind-blowingly accurate. Yeah, so I mean th- there were certain facets where obviously this is the nature of those beings. This is what they do. This is what they're there to reveal.
0: Yeah, and that's what we'd made the mistake with in understanding what function they perform so if you call them they'll always come, they'll always come that's what they're there for, to help us with our own personal initiation, but the primary way in which they do that is personal prophecy, now prophecy is always concerned with what we might call the unfolding of your eternal destiny, meaning once you've said yes to the promise of magic which is an inheritance right? that's not of this world once you've said yes to it You can look over the details of your life and you see that they couldn't have been otherwise and everything has been uh, inexorably leading to this point, Mm. right? And that in and of itself, an appreciation of that and an encounter with that can be mind-blowing. You're dealing with an intelligence far beyond your own, right? It's almost incomprehensible in how it can arrange events in such a manner that they would lead to your personal initiation into a nature or an or an understanding of yourself that's too good to be true and that's the nature of the prophecy the prophecy is always concerned with your personal initiation or what we might call an awakening yeah and and it's like receiving news about your birthday there's nothing you need to do to make your birthday happen and so it's good news it's like good news this is this is what's going to happen and then what we do is because we can't help it <laughs> we do our best to try and fall away from the prophecy by trying to figure out what it is by adding interpretations but one of the key elements for understanding the nature of an entity and a working is observing it as a sequence through time such that you can see where a prophecy was made and whether or not it came true.
1: Mm. It's like a synchronicity but kind of to the power of ten because it's it's like a synchronicity that shows that where you are is is exactly where you were always going to end up.
0: Oh yeah, it's way beyond synchronicity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's way beyond that It's something else Something else mm. is going on mm. uh, yeah. Like, like the, the prophecies that led to uh, this podcast And then led to uh, the birth of a new branch Of the AA Which is something we covered in the second episode Isn't it And this brings us back round to The origin for this stalker's behaviour mm. Because this working That was already setting off on the wrong foot was That was live streamed That was created for people paying a subscription Mm. and it was informed by the opposite of what we talked about earlier in terms of how you have a conversation with someone the procedure was done in bad faith, suspicion fear of what was being spoken to uh, attempt at coercing what was being spoken to Mm. and there was something tragic about its nature
1: Mm. and it was deeply embarrassing because part of the communication during this working that the person who we're talking about, the person in question, was told to f*** off by the third order. <laughs> I mean, f*** you, they say to him at yes. one point, which yes. is is a pretty uh, devastating thing to receive and leads to something extremely humiliating because you've got two ways to go from there. I mean, either you've been told f*** you by the third order mm. or as I think this person has tried to mm. to make the case that wasn't the third order that was something else something in the guise of the third order but in that case then manifestly there's incompetence there because magically speaking a magician has evoked something that wasn't what they intended to evoke so that whole working Deeply upsetting and embarrassing because it points either towards um, something counter-initiatory if you're being told to off by the third order or an exposure of your incompetence
0: yes and I think that speaks to a deeper issue I know that the idea for this working came from this individual I know that they stipulated a lot of preparatory magical work but i also know before the working happened that they threw the people running the uh channel that hosted it um threw them under the bus just told them to do it right yeah so you so that can have an effect on you if your trust has led you to the point where you do something public that you you realize even if you can't put it into words at the time is Fundamentally wrong That it's crossing a line in some moral sense Yeah And you find yourself in a situation Because it's public That might feel uh, Humiliating You know, that can be something difficult to deal with Now, interestingly in the working there's a, There is a There are two prophecies made In that working One is for this individual that we've been talking about Where it promises that if you're on the war path. Against the third order, Mm -hmm. right? You best take a toilet break first because it's it's a long way, but it will be coming back around again soon, right? So this war path that they're on against the order will eventually come back to this working. It will lead them back to this working.
1: Right. Those were the exact Mm -hmm.
0: words. Those are the words. Yeah. So there is there's a document attached to the show notes Mm. for this episode for people who are interested in a. Seeing a transcript of this working and what it actually says, people are free to to simply read what they find there. It's unedited, unabridged. I've added some comments to help people, uh, and also there's some you know there'll be some notes there that might help people when it comes to doing magical working. They might find it useful. But yes, there's a prophecy made about the war path. Uh, the second prophecy is about the outcomes from being betrayed in this fashion for w- one of the people who facilitated the working. Now this idea of being on the on the war path against the order is interesting because this working happened in May mm. in August I started this new branch of the Arcana Arcanorum which would be a terrestrial version of the entities being spoken to in these workings mm-hmm. which promptly this individual went on the war path against four episodes later And it's got to the extent where this person posts on various different social media sites a Warp FM watch.
2: Right,
1: so we're under observation.
0: We're under observation. Yeah. They need us to know that we're under observation. (laughs) For what crime, for what suspected wrongs, we do not know.
1: Mm. Well, I think... One of the ones that comes up repeatedly in comments from this person is to do with the the claims of lineage for this branch of the AA. I mean, all of which we talked about in one of the episodes, haven't we? We've addressed the fact that the link with Crowley isn't certain. We've addressed the fact that some of the people involved in this lineage have a less than... Completely ethical character, shall we say? So there's nothing being revealed there. There's nothing that we're we're not aware of.
0: But again, this would be a mistake to think that this person cares about these details. Exactly. It's not the reason for it. It's not the reason for the watch.
1: (laughs) Mm. Because I mean, even if we think about it for for a short while, if this person really did have an objection to the lineage then that would mean they must have in mind what would constitute an authentic lineage. Presumably it would be a lineage that without question went back to Crowley and in which, without question, everybody was of good moral standing. And yet this, this person has expressed views about Crowley that suggest that they do not think that Crowley was a person of, of good moral standing which, of course, like any, uh, any human being, you know, he, he wasn't.
0: Well, that speaks to an interesting trend going on at the moment, which is this idea of getting rid of the prophets. Mm. It's happened to Crowley, it's happened to Cal Young. But it's like saying we could get rid of uh, Christ from Christianity, or, or Muhammad from Islam, Moses from Judaism, this idea of a post-Thelema or a post-Crowley Thelema. Mm -hmm. we can get rid of the prophet but it's a striking thing to observe to see someone appropriate the work of a prophet and then claim through a lack of moral virtue that we should remove the prophet and now post Crowley Thelemites are going to lead the way Mm -hmm. just that act of critiquing the prophet to get rid of them is to usurp that throne isn't it
1: it is yeah yeah, because of course prophets are human beings and human beings get stuff wrong. Uh, they're capable of wrong. They, they fall into error. How can you dismiss somebody on those grounds of not being perfect?
0: Well, here's something else to consider. If everything that's said about these prophets is true and they're of such a despicable nature mm. with such terrible failings, which we are now beyond, what does it mean that the gods chose them but not these post-Crawley Thelemites? Mm. What does it mean that these people were chosen by the gods, Mm -hmm. but not these people who profess to know better? That must be quite galling for those people. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that the gods can look into the hearts of men and see what is there, and this working that we've been talking about demonstrates exactly that. Mm -hmm. There are certain lines that you can't cross, regardless of what our narcissistic delusions might lead us to believe. But I
1: think it's important to say that there's always a way back. There's always a way back. Like that working that we've talked about, that we've critiqued. Yes, it was fed up, but you know, we we messed up ours as well. It doesn't matter if something gets messed up like that, you can you can put it right through recognising it and through through making amends, you know, whatever that might entail. There's always a way back if you
0: choose. Yeah, and the three people involved, other than this individual we're talking about, promptly did another working. And the results are night and day. And that's exactly what you should do. Mastery of magic isn't the absence of failure. It's the presence of encountering one's mistakes or delusions and correcting them. Mm. And that's what you do over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, The first suspicion you should have is that you're full of shit, that you're delusional, mm. that you're already moving in the wrong direction. But you you have a willingness to see what that is so that you can go beyond it.
2: Mm.
1: And you do that over and over again, don't you? And it's painful and it's humiliating and it just goes on and on
0: and on as far as I can see. Yes, but you have to have something in you that is willing to see that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you must have the desire, no matter how egregious your behaviour might be, to not want to do it anymore, as a minimum. Th- th- there must be something else. Yeah. And for some people, that doesn't exist. So that brings us back to what we might call the warpath prophecy that was in the working with this stalker of ours. Mm. It said, if you're going to go on the warpath... Take a toilet break. M- <laughs> Take a toilet break, because it's a long walk, yeah. but it will be coming back round again.
1: Coming back to the working.
0: Yes, coming back to the working. Yeah. So when I saw you having this conversation with this individual on Twitter, I thought, the attacks on the order have been going on for months, and I thought, this is where it needs to be finished. This is where this thread has led us to. Mm-hmm. So I went onto Twitter, had a conversation, but that conversation had the structure of a practice that I teach. Mm-hmm which is called binding practice. Now, it may sound like a magical practice that people do to curse other people or they restrict people from uh, doing bad things or something like that.
1: Yeah, it's usually used as a term for a kind of polite form of cursing, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. In magia practice, the reason it's called binding is that it is indeed a reference to the oldest understanding of the magical act, which can only take two forms. Either you bind something or you release it from a binding. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are the only two actions possible. But the way that you unbind something that's already bound, right? so the way that you might undo uh, a delusion, the way that you might free yourself from a one-dimensional dysfunctional identity that you have that you keep playing out in your dramas in your life. Mm. That's what we all do. The way that you achieve an unbinding is that you bind the binding. Right. Again, this is the oldest understanding of the magical act. If something is bound, if you want to get rid of that binding, you have to bind the binding. Right. <laughs> right, and that's what an unbinding is. Yeah.
1: So, so bind the binding, you know, what are you binding the binding to? Is that to the, the truth, presumably?
0: Yes. In this regard, yes, that's a simple way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So usually the binding practice is personal. You invite your own problems or false identities, which we call roles in a drama, sometimes described as a shadow, you invite them in your practice, uh, then you describe them. You do this binding practice where you merely describe what it is that happened and then you can trace it through time to its origin. Mm. And by tracing it back to its origin, it's possible for you to complete a total picture of its nature and what it really is, such that it can't be believed anymore, and then it stops manifesting in your life. You stop playing that role, you stop behaving in that way. Mm. So it's a personal practice and it's a way of freeing yourself from something you're already bound to. Bizarrely, with this interaction with the individual we've been talking about, the conversation effortlessly went through the structure of a binding. It wasn't that I intentionally did it, it just unfolded that way. And I could see that it began with this person interrupting what it is that we find personally meaningful, what matters to us in terms of the work that we do. Or well, I trace back that drama through its earlier incarnation where this person was pretending to be other people on this discord to harass people, particularly about the fact that there was a new branch of the Arcana Arcanorum
2: hmm.
0: that had been launched. And then this led back to this working, right? And in binding practice, we'd call that an origin scene. So what comes after that is that you you name the role that you're playing based on its appearance. You then explore what it really does and spell out its malevolence and then you give it a real name. And therefore, knowing what it really does, how it really works in your life, you, you can't do it anymore. You won't do it anymore because you've uncovered the detriment that it causes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: With this example, of course, this person hasn't agreed to do a binding practice. Oh. And yet, nevertheless, I'm leading them through it. So I give the role a name, which is the name that they used for their fake account when they were harassing these people. And then it wasn't very difficult to get him to admit that he targets people. And then obviously using the examples that we've seen, spelling out this dynamic of giving the appearance of being in control, Mm -hmm. but demonstrating incompetence, which ultimately leads to humiliation, being humiliated. Because as we talked about, that that magical working was humiliating. Being caught creating fake accounts to harass people is humiliating. Right, So spelling out what it costs him to behave this way, to play this role that he's playing. Mm-hmm. And then I gave it a real name. So it's peculiar. I was puzzled by this. Why would this happen? Now the difference between this individual and what they're doing compared to other people is that other people can say yes to going through this process and could be guided through it by, by someone. Or they can do it themselves, but they have to say yes. How do you see without saying yes? You, you can't no you have to wish to you have to wish to see so you can say yes and wish to see or you can say no and you know you're not interested in doing that, but the difference with this individual is they're saying no to what's happening whilst moving towards it right that's another way of saying if the order could be thought of as a flame or a fire like a lamp or something like that, if you say yes to it, it's like the fire of awakening, so the practice the lineage illuminates. Your delusion yeah. illuminates the truth about how you are behaving, and you want to, you want it illuminated so you can see and therefore become free from it. Yeah. Right, so you can become unbound from these things. But for the person that sees the fire or the flame or the lamp and wishes to extinguish it or to possess it for themselves or something like that, and they approach it through ill will or subterfuge, then the fire is like the fire of delusion. Right, it means that they can't help but proceed to move into the fire. Saying no to It's experienced as being disintegrated Mm -hmm. This person Couldn't help but come along To see the spelling out Of this role that they're playing But they don't have the capacity to be Other than they are To do anything otherwise To do something about it Mm -hmm. And ultimately that means Just as the prophecy described Because they can't help saying no And yet moving towards us They're being led along the warpath back to that working
1: so curious isn't it to be attracted to something in order to negate it i think the capacity is 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 always there potentially you know you don't have to do this you can realize this at any point and do something different there's no point in coming to something like the AA, like magia like magical practice even if you're not going to use what it offers
0: well it's a puzzle isn't it
1: I mean, to share a personal example, yeah. I used to do something like this. Uh, years ago, before I met you, I had this thing about lucid dreaming. And there's this guy, Stephen LaBerge, who's this expert on lucid dreaming. And I was convinced that he was wrong. And I used to go out on my way online and everywhere to to talk about how wrong he was. And I was, I was just pouring so much energy into this thing. I couldn't understand how you could distinguish between a lucid dream... In which you're conscious that you're dreaming, and a dream that you were conscious that you were dreaming, and <laughs> yeah. and that for me, you know, was why Stephen LeBerge was wrong about absolutely everything, and that's what I was setting out to prove. But but one day someone said to me, "Well, when I'm dreaming, I'm a different person. I'm not the same person in a dream as I am mm. when I'm awake." And sudden suddenly, the I got it. But I'd spent years trying to destroy. <laughs> This guy, Stephen LaBerge, you know, chasing after a shadow, basically, wasn't it?
0: Yes, but there's a difference. Now, the difference here is, is that you're talking about investing an inordinate amount of time in an opposing view mm. or a belief that you thought was incorrect. Yeah. An attempt to correct something. Yeah.
1: Even whilst I was practising Stephen LaBerge's techniques for lucid <laughs> track Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, but there's a difference between that, isn't there, and um, harassment. There's a difference between that, isn't there, and a a Stephen LaBerge watch. Right. (laughs) There's a difference, isn't there, between that and creating fake accounts, trying to make sure people don't follow his work. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't far off doing that
1: sometimes, I'll admit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, there's something interesting that someone said during this harassment campaign on this Discord server where this person under their fake guise was continually obsessing and attacking the idea of this order trying to dissuade anyone from having anything to do with it someone asked, I'm curious if Alan isn't hurting students, if the practices help folks have awakenings and if those folks aren't hurting anyone, why does it matter to someone with no interest in Magia? It's an interesting question now this person's response was, was that they're interested in the truth Which is a non-answer, because we've only ever told the truth, haven't we? Mm. The nature of the prophecy that was made about the order was that we would inherit something fallen, you could put it that way, Mm. and turn it the right way up. The process of initiation is one of continually meeting things that are fallen or the wrong way around, in other words, our delusion, and the practice is to turn it the right way up. Mm. Then the order merely demonstrates at an organisational level what each individual magician is doing so then one has to wonder what's the real motivation, what's the real reason if people are waking up if it's a real thing that's happening Mm. and it brings us to an understanding of why someone would want to extinguish that
1: I mean, you know, let's just pause for a moment and countenance the possibility the possibility that you're not setting out to rip people off, to... (laughs) sexually abuse them or manipulate them <laughs> you know, the remote possibility that you might not be doing that
0: yes, but again, but this is engaging with the details mm. that this person doesn't care about see, you, you keep being a normal person <laughs> and
1: this is, this is the point of these sort of tactics, isn't it like misattributing views to somebody it means mm. you're always on the back foot, aren't you you're always having to say, yes. I don't hold this view, and yeah. you're always having to yeah. demonstrate why you don't mm. hold that
0: view there's an idea in Magia in a chapter called The Song of the Forest where it describes certain people and how they approach the world. Some people are like bees, right? They they work, they're apportioned their share of the of the honey from their labor, right? And they can just think about themselves, but they make the garden possible, right? And that's most people. Mm. There are the butterflies, those are those few who will follow this thread of initiation. Uh, But then there's the spider. The spider is someone who spins a web to catch flies, to catch people, you might put it that way. And they wrap them in death and consume them as a way of trying to stave off their own extinction. Unfortunately for those spiders, the day will come when they can't make their web anymore and they merely expire. For the butterfly, what's left for them is eternal life. Now, this description of the spider... Mm. This is a person who uses others Can only look to others Captures them and extracts what they can from them Hmm. And that's the sole basis for the relationship In the most profound sense Now we have a word for that don't we In our culture It's a narcissist
2: Right.
1: Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Implications surrounding that term I mean The one thing I'd want to say is that term narcissist does tend to be used as as a bit of an insult these days which is something very very far from what that term was originally introduced to do in psychoanalysis where it referred to a dynamic within the mind within the soul that's concerned with self-love and you know I would want to point out that there's absolutely nothing wrong with with self love. Where where love is concerned, it's my view that there's never a problem. And what we refer to today by the term narcissism is basically a failure of self love. It's it's basically a reaction where there are obstacles or frustrations to being able to love oneself, to being able to truly accept oneself. Anyone listen to this, love yourself as much as you like. As the Buddha said, he who loves himself will never harm another
0: yeah I think it's understood today isn't it in the literature that that a narcissist is someone who is primarily concerned with control mm, yeah manipulation as a substitute for competence in human relationships but in any domain yeah yeah
1: because i think you know love implies trust and self surrender and where those aren't possible then maybe control is a is the only alternative the only option there do you
0: know what the difference is between a narcissist and someone with narcissistic personality disorder
1: <laughs> a diagnosis i'd imagine
0: yes a diagnosis now there's something very interesting about the difference which is the person with narcissistic personality disorder has decided that the way that they behave isn't acceptable to themselves anymore and they've, they're seeking help mm. right? such that they can get a diagnosis the narcissist on the other hand sees no problem with what they do no shame, no guilt not the usual emotional responses that most people have mm. one thing I've heard from clinicians who work with people with narcissistic personality disorder is that it's very very difficult for any change to happen but in those rare instances where after a prolonged amount of time and effort and work they've reached a point where the narcissist is is willing to look what's behind the narcissism they find uh, an empty void and usually that individual then crashes into depression now this is a long preamble (laughs) but it's a way of understanding why someone would experience the fire of awakening—it's mere presence—as an attack upon themselves, or something that needs to be extinguished. Hmm. Because awakening calls you to turn around and face that void, if it's there, and that's the last thing a narcissist would want, would want to do. It's the last thing most of us would want to do—is yeah. to approach uh, a gaping hole inside, you know, and crash into depression. But it draws them to it. It draws them to it, and it will illuminate what's there. And, and if you you said no to it, then it's a long, drawn-out, painful process. Mm. There is an option, of course, which is just to leave the fire alone, but they can't help themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's something there that fascinates. I would tend towards the view that change is always possible. There's always something that can happen. There's always steps that can go in that direction. Therapy with those sorts of presentations can, can take a long time but there are specific forms of therapy like mentalization therapy that have been developed to work with those sorts of presentations and and, you know like you were describing that looking inwards can be so so difficult if when we look inwards there's a sense of there being nothing there one thing i wondered about though this idea of narcissism as a block to awakening i mean what came to my mind was Mm. the guru that we both first encountered transmission from was somebody who was later exposed to being very controlling very Mm. abusive you know may possibly have had a lot of narcissistic traits and yet apparently was very highly realized to well to some degree at
0: least yeah i think in those instances of course, there's there's a spectrum of behavior, isn't there? Narcissism isn't just one pan of behavior. Oh, yeah. I think, though, with the individual that we're talking about, there's a, an element of a learned sociopathy. So when this person had their awakening, the teacher that they were with, a guy called Papaji, presented him with a scroll <laughs> with the name of every realized being since the Buddha... <laughs> with his name written on the bottom. It's Andrew (laughs) Cohen, his name written on the bottom. Presented that to him, said, you're the person I've been waiting for my entire life.
1: He got a certificate for his awakening, did he?
0: Right, yeah. (laughs) But you're going to go forth and create a revolution amongst the young. That's the prophecy, that's what I've been waiting for you, that's what you're going to go and do. No institutional lineage, no understanding that there are people that came before him with not only the same degree of realization, but higher, that he's inherited a work that's ongoing, and that his role is to contribute to it and hand it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, without any of this stuff, he was placed in a in the worst position he could get placed in, as a teacher, especially in the midst of a, of a profound realization, when you're most likely to suffer from spiritual inflation, which I see, you know, it's it's extraordinarily common it happens with students all the time and it's not a problem if you understand what it is mm. you know and you can and you have that willingness to see as painful as it might be to see it but it's extraordinarily common mm. and then he came to the west and found himself the center of attention transmissions happening people waking up and how do people relate to him in the way that our culture encourages people to relate to celebrity and so on which is in a Narcissistic fashion, hmm. yeah, and I think that as a result of all of these factors, and obviously you know personal tendencies, and his very complicated and dysfunctional relationship with his mother, and the the way in which he came to understand awakening and how it happened, right? And there's there's, there's conceptual problems with that. I think it led. It was inevitable that it would lead in a certain direction. Uh, which was catastrophic
1: But again, you know, maybe it can also go in a different direction Like thinking of Krishnamurti Who was brought up to be a messiah, wasn't he? By um, the Theosophists uh, Ledbetter and Besant, I think mm-hmm. Were the key figures in there He was going to be a world, oh, yeah. a world messiah, wasn't mm. he? And um, he turned against it all You know, he saw that for what it was. And although, again, apparently a really highly realised teacher, he explicitly turned his back on that and taught something completely different.
0: Yeah, it's always the case that there's a responsibility. Mm. It's always the case. Mm. It's not inevitable that Andrew Cohen would have gone in that direction. No. But all of our cultural institutions, and what we hold up as virtue in this culture, in our society all leans in that direction who knows maybe the greatest of outcomes can still happen for us and i think that is a cultural expression of our inability collectively to turn around and see the gaping hole Mm -hmm. that's behind how we behave as a culture you know the virtues that we that we hold up Mm. how we relate to everything because we've We've made certain choices that have led in a certain direction. And we don't have infinite opportunities. We have a limited number of opportunities. Mm. How many times do you say no to something before it's accepted that that is just not what you want anymore?
2: Mm.
0: And that's true for a human life. And it's also true for a life of a culture.
1: Yeah. I mean, thankfully, what you're talking about there, I think, is a collective dynamic. And it's not inevitable that that everybody follows that same dynamic, perhaps. On an individual level, I hope and I trust that something else is possible.
0: Well, it's only possible, isn't it, at the personal level? If there's one thing that the prophets say over and over again, it's the same message. It's good and evil is found in the heart of each person. It's a personal responsibility to travel through those opposites and return to the origin of them in each individual soul. Mm. that's where the work happens that's where um, the two worlds meet and creation takes place in each individual and that's what we're called to do individually to be what a human being is supposed to be Mm. but when you see how people relate to the idea of the divine when you see the discourse around magic and the gods when you see how people treat what's most sacred, what do you see? How do they relate to it? It's very much like that working we've been talking about. Mm. Something that's commodified. Yeah. Something that's turned into content for paid subscribers. Yeah.
1: And what struck me in, in what you were describing there was, relating back to something you mentioned earlier, that behaviour, that attitude could could only conceivably come from a sense of an internal void, couldn't it? That there's there's nothing that any of these things can can offer, can supply.
0: Yes, because any authentic engagement with the prophets, with the divine, with the gods mm. would necessitate facing that void. Yeah. Turning around and looking at it. Yeah. So that you can travel through it. Yeah. But culturally, this is where we find ourselves. Not only have we cut ourselves off from the divine origin of our culture, just from the divine itself, we've even, in the words of Peter Kingsley, forgotten that we've forgotten. And this is the same structure that you find with a narcissist. You know, in, in, uh, in terms we were talking about shadows. To be a narcissist or in, or in a position where what's good appears as evil. Right. What's innocent is what's most guilty. Yeah. You have to be you have to be lost with a, a shadow within a shadow. You can no longer tell up from down. And that's where we are culturally. Yeah.
1: I mean thinking back, remembering when I first started to get engaged with Buddhism, I would go to to meetings at the Buddhist Centre and I remember once someone put on some kind of puja and we were expected to to bow or prostrate before the buddha and and this was years ago you know when i was about 1920 um and i was an atheist and i found it unbearable i found it mm. terrifying um humiliating disgusting the idea that i would bow to something because that would mean that i was nothing it would mean that i was you know inferior horrible <laughs> degraded there's that void, isn't it? That's that void, mm. and it
0: was is this also when you were chasing that author? <laughs> <laughs> it was even before then <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, no, it was unbearable, unbearable at that time. you know it was years later before I could start to to look at that
2: mm.
0: so then rather than turn around and face that void and deal with it and be honest about what we've done collectively where we find ourselves and therefore what's actually possible now people are still carried away with these delusions about what's possible now and they have we passed that point you know centuries ago it's better to pretend the prophet's never existed mm-hmm. to deny the divine is even a thing because it's too painful to look at yeah. better to carry on With the pretense that we are the end result of history, we're better than those people, and therefore, anything that they produced of any value, we can extract. You know, like a spider.
1: Well, then you've got a sense of control, haven't you? You can pick and you can choose. You know, it's it's just a personal choice what bits you want because there's nothing nothing above you. There's nothing nothing ideal.
0: Yeah and like the spider our culture and specifically as well I want to make sure that we're not leaving this out magical culture hmm. occultism it's all the same it's all the same actions of a spider catching what it can in its web and extracting from it whatever it can to try and sustain itself but the day is rapidly approaching where that spider can't make any more webs hmm.